It's wonderful to be able to sing a song like that with those basic, incredible truths that fill our hearts with joy and knowing that we have victory in Christ. We have living hope. That is good news, people. I'm certain that you enjoyed hearing from Pastor Will last week. He taught us from James 3, 1 through 12. We're going to be picking up on verse 13 today, so you can turn there and be ready. He taught us that the tongue is disproportionately powerful, deadly, and inconsistent, capable of great good, but also capable of great harm. Can be a blessing to the souls of those around you or do serious damage to those souls. I love how he brought it to an end by contrasting the negative ideas uh, uh, presented there that our tongues being set on fire by hell for destruction, comparing that with the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended as tongues of fire and indwelt the, those believers and purified their speech. It's an incredibly heavy passage that, that, that we can't control the tongue and it's so hard and yet we do have the hope that through faith in Christ we have the indwelling spirit of God that can, can take control and lead us to a better way. And how wonderful it is that Jesus endured the full cursing that we might receive the fullness of blessing through him. I've entitled this message, The Proof is in the Harvest. Uh, without question, this has been the most difficult message that I have prepared since I have been here. I've wrestled with this one more than I have any others. I have a procedure of how I pray through the passages, and I found myself praying for this particular section six times more than I usually do, just because I kept wrestling with it, because I believe it is so critical. Here at Parkview, we strive to be a whole church making whole disciples who are forgiven children of God who take the next step to learn Jesus, to love Jesus, and to live Jesus. As we are in this incredibly practical book of James, I think it's helpful to remember that James is addressing believers here, uh, ones who no doubt were already, had already learned of Christ and were loving him, and, and we're now trying to live out Jesus as we are. Remember in chapter 1, verse 5, if anyone lacks wisdom... Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. Wonderfully simple. I want you to think about that for a minute. If there's a shortage of wisdom, just ask God. Do you realize that other options were not presented there? It was not a read more, research great philosophers, not, no other ideas. The issue is a wisdom shortage, and the solution is to ask God to give you more wisdom. Coming on as one of your pastors here 11 and a half months ago now, my number one prayer request was for wisdom from God. As my years of being a pastor, I've always prayed for that. But even with the experience that I had coming in and serving in superintendent roles and helping other churches and being connected with some people who are very wise and experienced, Parkview's situation was unique and if I'm honest, a bit complicated. And that was why it was my number one request, for wisdom. And the reason was, is because I knew that this role was bigger than I am. I want you to catch this, this is important. Asking for wisdom like James instructs us to do here, 
suggest that one first realizes they need it. I know that's super simple, but I want you to think about it. Bad decisions, foolish decisions, sin are rooted in deception. And there's a danger for us to think that we are wise or we're wise in our own eyes. And there's a danger of self-deception there. How foolish could we possibly be to think we do not need wisdom from God? Remember, James is often called the wisdom literature of the New Testament. And now James is going to go a little further into the subject of wisdom and its fruits. And and as James contrasts God's wisdom with worldly wisdom, he will then define the harvest that can be expected when we live according to either one of those wisdoms. Look with me at James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first purer, then peaceable, and gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather, we can recognize that you are God, and that through faith in Christ, we can have it all. We have that relationship with you. That we can be set free from the bondage of sin. God, thank you that your word is a guide to us. And that your, your word instructs us to ask you for the wisdom that we need to live the way you would have us live. Father, would you grant more of that in our hearts and lives today, even as we study this passage Lord, may we be people of heavenly wisdom. Lord, we ask your blessing upon East Campus as they're worshiping now. Would you just guide and lead their time? Would you be exalted? In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Now, contextually, this is immediately following that previous section, previous section I just reviewed that, that Pastor Will took us through. And in that, we really see that wisdom is even necessary to, to speak in a people-honoring and God-honoring, a God-glorifying way. It's hard to manage these things well. And, and, and then James springs this question here that we see in the first part of uh, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? He's starting this out with this question. Who are the wise ones? Now, some would suggest here that this also is addressed to teachers. Remember, we saw that, that uh, beginning of verse, or chapter 3 started out with the, uh, the, the teachers. And they would argue that the combination of the phrase wise and understanding is often found in the Hebrew Bible, and it can take a, take, we can take it to be shorthand for teaching. 
Now, others argue that James is, is more inclusive here now, and they would claim that since he's no longer addressing the tongue like he was, that it's more likely that these verses, starting in verse 13, actually kind of continue a thought through the 12th verse of chapter 4. Because you'll notice it says, who is wise and understanding among you? And then chapter 4, verse 1 says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? We'll be there next week. But either way, the, the topic is incredibly crucial and critical for us to wrestle through. Here, James has this provocative question. Who is wise and understanding among you? He's, he's really caught, calling his audience to sort of to identify those who might be guilty of self-admiration in the realm of, of wisdom or or those who might be admiring the wrong people in the realm of wisdom. So he follows that question with who is wise and understanding among you, and he follows it with by his good conduct, let him show his, his works in the meekness of wisdom. I, I believe James is, is kind of giving us a, a little bit of a diagnostic here. If you own a, a more modern car, you'll know that if you ever have to take it to the dealer for a repair, you're going to pay $150, $160 just to have them look at it and do a diagnostic. By the way, nine times out of ten, that diagnostic is plugging a little thing into it, and 22 seconds later, they know exactly what's wrong with your car, and you just lost 150 bucks. Sorry, I hate to break it to you, but anyway, that's how it goes. James is kind of giving us a diagnostic here, a way to look at it. Once again, he pushes forward with this talk is cheap mentality. He's saying wisdom can be and should be observed in your behavior. Good and proper conduct in the meekness of wisdom. We'll come back to that. In, in true James style, he, he spells it out for them. He spells it out for you and I. He's offering evidence of whether or not one's wisdom is heavenly or whether it is worldly wisdom. Let's look first at the evidence of worldly wisdom or of the unwise or people who might have false wisdom. Within that, you'll find bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Look at verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3 here. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above. It's earthly, unspiritual and demonic. So we see the elements here of, of it being, uh, of there being pride. Do not boast about it and be false to the truth. There, there's arrogance in this false witness. Uh, there's bitter jealousy. There's selfish ambition. False to the truth. There, there's dishonesty. And why? The source of it is earthly or, or, or worldly. It's common. It's the opposite of heaven. It's, it's from here. It's, it's a worldly system. It's common to culture. We might suggest that it's popular wisdom, if you will. Horizontal. Now, it's, it's important to note here that this doesn't have to be negative or bad. It's simply limited in scope. It's typical. It's basic. It's unspiritual. It it's originates in the natural or the sensual or material world. 
we find corrupt teachers being spoken of in the book of Jude. And they're they are functioning as people who divide the body, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit of the living God. When we see this reference to, uh, to unspiritual in the New Testament, really it comes up uh, about three times in 1 Corinthians, here and, and in Jude. And it's negative in those contexts because it's suggesting that someone is functioning based upon personal thinking above spiritual. He goes on beyond that to say uh, earthly, unspiritual. Then he says demonic, direct opposition to God. Now I would suggest this doesn't necessarily mean that all worldly wisdom is straight from Satan. But it does suggest that some of the worldly wisdom is in absolute opposition to God's word, to God's ways, and to God's wisdom. It's evil. Just plain evil. And there's a harvest then from the unwise, from worldly wisdom. Look at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. The Greek word zelos can be positive or negative. It's, it's a word we translate jealousy or, or zeal or envy. We see a positive meaning when we look at, at God being jealous for his people. Remember? God's insistence that his people worship and serve him and him alone and not go into worshiping other gods or into idols. We see it in, in Jesus as he's, he's so passionate in taking action and turning over the tables in the temple because he's, he's jealous or he has zeal for the temple of God that it not become a den of thieves. Positive zeal. But here, in this text, it's clearly negative. Remember, in verse 15, we had the word bitter in there, bitter jealousy. And, and here in 16, it's jealousy and selfish ambition. There's no possible way to consider these good in this context. Jealousy and selfish ambition. Note that there's nothing here that is kind or benevolent or charitable about such a person. They may do or say certain things that make them appear a certain way, but if so, it would be done from impure, selfish motives in order to exalt oneself in one way or another. Jealousy and selfish ambition. Then James tells us that, that the harvest of that will be disorder and every vile practice. Any of you love disorder? Most people would say they don't, but then you might look in their, in their rooms or in their cars or whatever in their cabinets and they go, they love disorder. I've got some kids that love disorder. But functionally, it's, it's not great, is it? In the past two weeks... There has been disorder, even chaos, in our nation's airports, hasn't there? You've been following that on the news. Crazy weather and staff shortages and, and all the, causing all these delayed flights makes for disorder and people are sleeping in the airport and, and trying to get rental cars, all that stuff. 
And it's just a little sampling of what, how annoying disorder can be. And, but in those situations, you can just be frustrated with a broken or flawed system. But what about when disorder comes in our relational world? What happens when disorder comes into the workplace and there's, there's chaos between the boss and the employees or, or amongst the employees or with the clients? What about when chaos comes into the home and the marriage is strained or kids are rebelling or, or kids are being abused? Or the step-parent and the stepchild can't get along. What about when disorder comes into the church because of unwise actions? You'll find that there's contempt where there should be trust. Hatred instead of love. Quarreling when there should be unity. The harvest of the unwise is disorder. And then he says, every vile practice, everything evil and nasty. When he put it that way, I had to go and say, okay, let's look at some biblical list of that which is evil and nasty. Paul gives us a couple of lists we can look at. Colossians 3, verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, on the account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. How about his list in Galatians 5 when he's contrasting these with being led by the Spirit in, in verse 19? Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things do not inherit the kingdom of God. Every vile, evil practice. So it really means the absence of peace and righteousness, which is what we see as the, the harvest of those who are heavenly wise. What a description. Who wants to be in that kind of chaos? Disorder in every vile practice. I don't want to be it. I, I don't want to be in it. Fortunately, James gives us a, a contrast of God's heavenly wisdom here. The origin from heaven, from above, it's, it's God's. Remember verse 13 said, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. He's saying, come on, we can see some evidence here of those who are heavenly wise. Well, we'll see good behavior and gentle deeds. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Pure. The idea of clean or, or, or innocent, it's, it's undefiled, sanctified. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
First, pure, then, then peaceable, quieted, restful, even pacified. Peace follows purity in the list, probably because it depends on purity. In the next verse in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I want you to think for a minute. Have you ever lacked peace in your life for one reason or another? Something in you just knows that things aren't right. There's a discomfort and a, 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 a turbulence within you because you know it's not right. Maybe it's a strained or severed relationship that's just painful to your soul. Maybe it's unconfessed sin. You're just trying to pretend it's not there and the reality is that the Spirit of God is stirring in you and it's causing you to realize something's wrong when you don't want to face it, you don't want to deal with it. Or maybe it's during that time of being wayward, running from God, resisting Him. Your peace is gone. Heavenly wisdom produces purity and peaceable, now gentle results. Great strength and restraint. Patient and considerate. How often is that lacking in people's lives? Do you realize that a heavenly wise individual can address very tough subjects with other people? She can confront sin kindly. He can extend a corrective critique with gentleness. And it's received so well, especially in comparison with someone who presents it in a not-so-gentle way. Pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, open to reason, considerate, conciliatory, teachable. Philippians 4, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Two weeks ago, I was at the Evangelical Free Church National Conference in Fullerton, California. It's a great conference, but one part of the conference wasn't so fun. We as voting delegates were asked to vote on whether or not to uphold the Board of Ministerial Standings decision to hold one of the pastor's ordinations in trust. That pastor had appealed beyond the Board of Ministerial Standing to the entire list of delegates to vote upon. All the info was shared with each of us delegates in advance. We could read all the dialogue. We could watch the videos of the interaction. And we were to come and hear some more and then vote upon it. As this pastor stood up to give his personal defense, sadly, he displayed arrogance. He displayed not a hint of gentleness. He was unreasonable. And in my estimation, he was completely unwise. Unfortunately for him, it made it very easy for us to vote against his appeal. As I thought about it, it could have been so different a little bit of wisdom displayed in humility and gentleness and reasonableness would have led him to be the recipient of a merciful result, which, by the way, is James' next evidence of heavenly wisdom. 
pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, merciful, restrained judgment, not exacting punishment that is deserved. Again, in Matthew 5, verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. When I was in my early 20s, while I was away at school, a man that I had looked up to and admired so much was going through a divorce. I was unaware of all the facts, but I was deeply disappointed. I had admired him. I proceeded to write him a letter laying my frustrations and my and laying out my frustrations and expressing my disappointment in his actions. I launched scriptures at him like razor-sharp arrows. There may have been some truth in what I wrote in my letter, but to my shame, it completely lacked mercy. It lacked gentleness. It lacked reasonableness. It was frankly not wise. I later apologized for that letter, but damage had been done. And I've often thought if I could, if I could just turn back the clock and, and rewrite that letter, I would do it with heavenly wisdom, and it would be far different the letter would, would be seeking to understand. It would be expressing my concern for him and my commitment to prayer. It would be reminding him of my unconditional love for him and reminding him just how much Jesus loves him. I'm going to ask you to just turn inward here for a moment. Have you ever been unmerciful? Have you ever been obnoxious about your faith? Is it possible that someone's heart has been hardened toward the Lord because of your unwise behavior? People, a little mercy goes a long way. You and I, if we know Jesus Christ, we are here, we gather like this, we can be sing, joyfully sing a song like that because we have been the recipients of mercy. We've been forgiven for it all, and then who are we then to withhold mercy from someone who needs it? It's pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, merciful. It's bountiful, bearing good fruits. There's, a, there's good fruit and plenty of it in the lives lived by those who are heavenly wise. They are a blessing to others. It's also impartial. Not even a trace of partiality or biased judgment. Principled, grounded in truth, yes. But maybe applying some of those things James was just talking about where we are a little bit slower to speak and quicker to listen. Pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, merciful, bountiful, impartial, and sincere. Or not hypocritical. 
The Greek word from which we get hypocrite is a term used to describe an actor who would switch masks in order to portray a different character in a play. Someone who is sincere is without disguise. There's no deceit. They are consistent. They are stable. They are predictable. They are transparent. They are worthy of trust. There's a major shift happening in the younger generations of our culture today because that, that shift in the generation is saying we really value transparency and authenticity. If they get a sniff or, or just a hint of somebody being fake, they're, they're out. Someone's hiding behind a mask or, or insincere in some way or another. Forget about it. person who is heavenly wise is sincere. James then points out the harvest of the wise. And, and verse 18 is going to tell us that it's a harvest of righteousness from peace. But first, do, do you get the sense here that, that James has, has forged through this and, and he might be teaching us that impassioned and out of control speech is a roadblock to solid judgment and wise living. It's almost like he's saying, chill out, slow down, ease up. Commentator Matthew Henry wrote it well when he said, when we are mild and calm, we are best able to hear reason and best able to speak it. Wisdom produces meekness and meekness increases wisdom. Words that inform and heal and do good are the marks of wisdom, not those that look great and do mischief and are occasions of evil either in ourselves or in others. So don't forget now that James has been teaching these early Christians and you and I to be joyful in trials, even when you're losing everything. Be quick to listen and slow to become angry. Do not show favoritism. Live out your faith in obedience. Beware of the tongue. Watch your speech. And he's, he's now saying, look at what real wisdom is. And it's as though he's saying, okay, come on, we've got to do a di diagnostic here. We've got to stop and look at the life and behavior of others because you will know heavenly wisdom when you see it because there will be a harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. That's how you know it's heavenly wisdom. Kent Hughes rephrases verse 18 a little bit, and I like the way he says it. He said, peacemakers produce in the atmosphere of the peace they create the harvest of righteousness or the fruit of righteousness. The wise will create a culture of peace and bear a harvest of righteousness. Don't forget that it was Jesus who said, and it's recorded in Matthew 11, wisdom is justified by her deeds. Wisdom is proved right by her actions. Now maybe you still ask, why were you so worked up about this or why is this so very critical, Mark? Many reasons, but the, the fact is we live in a culture that pushes forward ideas that contradict God's word and his wisdom. And it pushes it forward with great force and, and it's everywhere we look pushes forward ideas like this, this idea that, that we all exist by cosmic chance. And our lives are random at best, without meaning. 
And they would argue against you and I who would say that, that mankind is created by and designed by a holy God who, who make us uh, people to be his image bearers. They would say, no way. And because they do this, they can then declare the unborn to be without value. It's just simply matter. It sells. And then because of this idea of life and, and, and not having value or design, then one must make the most of the life they have. You must be successful. You must be well-liked. You must be healthy. You must be attractive. You must live long. You must make plenty of money and live comfortably. You must obtain fame or notoriety or at least be known. You must be the best at what you do and you must have love. And in that same culture is stunned and surprised, even horrified by bullying or abuse, by hatred, by, by violence and, and inequities of any kind. They can't figure out why there's a rise in drug use or why there's staggering suicide rates. And they completely stand in disbelief when a student will walk into a school and begin to execute their peers and then turn the weapon on themselves. But you and I would acknowledge that heavenly wisdom says that these people need to know that they are created by a loving God. And that they're his image bearers. And they need to know that even when life seems hopeless, their hope can be found in Jesus Christ. I reminded you of James 1.5 at the beginning. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. I want you also to think of verse 17 in chapter 1. It says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above. Father of heavenly lights. How foolish could we possibly be to not ask God to do something that he's absolutely ready and willing to do? I want you to think about that. What's the wisdom in that? Is there any wisdom in not asking God to grant us more wisdom when he says he'll give it generously? I mean, think about that. We need to take him in his word and say, God, give that wisdom. And then we need to pray for the resolve to live according to the wisdom he provides, to apply it. Parkview, I see in many of you the evidence of heavenly wisdom. That's a wonderful thing. But I still think it's worth us stopping and doing a diagnostic here and just start with yourself and just say, how am I doing in the realm of wisdom? When I see the harvest that my life produces, is it something that's good? Does it bring disorder in every vile practice? Or is it something over here that, that, that's pure? That brings about peace or, or gentleness or, or reasonableness? Mercy and, and, and bountiful harvest of good things, impartial and sincere. And if not, we need to stop and go, okay, where, where am I getting my wisdom? What about the people that you look up to and that you admire, that you esteem? Maybe we need to look at the fruit of those lives and go, okay, is it the way it should be? 
And I say, oh God, allow us to grow in heavenly wisdom even more for his glory and for his honor.